Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I do want to congratulate uh, Patty and Caitlin this morning for following through in obedience to our Lord in baptism. And uh, what a blessing that is to, to have them be a part of that this morning. Well, we're continuing the series, In Him For Him. And uh, one thing that we've pointed out over the last several weeks as we've made our way through this study is that the book of Ephesians is very unique in how it is written. And what's unique about it is the fact that chapters one through three is really about the whole idea of us being in him. And then you come to chapters four through six, which we'll come to later, and you'll see that it's more about what we do for him. And so we've entitled the, the sermon series, In Him, For Him. Now, I want to begin this morning with a, with a simple question. And the question is this, what are you pursuing in life? Think about that. You do realize we are pursuing something. You may not consciously be aware of it, but subconsciously, if, if not consciously, we are pursuing something. It's, it's really how, we, how our life is dictated, where we put our funds, where we spend our time. Those are the things, those type of things are the things that we're pursuing. So today I want to talk to you about the authentic pursuit. Now, what we pursue reveals our heart. Jesus said it this way, for where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. You, 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 your heart follows the treasure and what you value. So look at the introduction on your outline. Once we understand that our identity is Christ-based, that we are in him, meaning we are living in the new spiritual realities Christ has provided, then we can begin to pursue the life he has for us. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to pursue it. And so when you look at the, what Paul is outlining here in chapter one, he's basically saying, okay, here are your new spiritual realities. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're in Christ. And with that comes those realities. And that's what we looked at over the last several weeks. And so our new spiritual realities include, I'm going to review these. If you have some old outlines, you can pull them out and review them with me. Here, here's our new spiritual reality. So he has given us, we have spiritual blessings. He has chosen us, we have a destiny. He's adopted us, we are family. He has accepted us, we are established in him. He has redeemed us, we are forgiven. He has enlightened us, we are given wisdom along with these new realities. He has provided for us. We have an inheritance that's not only realized now, but will really be realized later. All these things are the new realities in which we can live. Now, I want to share with you a story as we jump into this because the story really kind of centers around what Paul is attempting to explain to us this morning. Johnny was a handsome bachelor who was looking for a bride. He lived in a village where the custom was that a man would pay a dowry to a father in order to be granted permission to marry his daughter. Now, how many of you have heard of those times back in ancient times that this was a common practice? So don't be offended when I continue in the story, okay? This is something, this is the way they did things years ago. The average dowry price for a bride was three cows. That's the reason you could find that offensive, but that's the way they did it in the past, not the way we do it now, thank goodness. So the average dowry price for, for a bride was three cows, although an exceptionally beautiful girl could go as high as five cows. I know that sounds terrible, but that's what we're dealing with, okay? 
One day, Johnny went to the father of Christina to negotiate a dowry. The people of the village began to talk, for it was well known that Christina was not the most beautiful girl in the village. It was also known that Johnny was known as a sharp negotiator. Some speculated that he might be able to take Christina as a bride for as low as one cow. That's pretty pathetic. That's pitiful, isn't it? (laughs) However, Johnny did not do the sword. He marched up to Christina's home and offered her father eight cows for her home for her hand in marriage. Eight cows. Eight cows. That was unheard of. No one ever paid such a high price for a bride, especially for someone as Christina. But after the wedding, a strange thing happened. Christina began to change. She began to transform. She began to not hide from the scowls of of others. Her eyes began to sparkle. She beamed with an inner glow of radiance. And in the years that followed, she became known as the most beautiful woman in the entire village. She began to live a life that reflected the price that was paid for her. One day, Johnny was asked why he paid such an exorbitant price for a wife. He replied, I really love Christina, and I wanted her to know how much I also wanted her to know the great value that I placed on our relationship. Then, with a grin, he added, but there's another reason. I always wanted to marry an eight-cow girl. What a story, huh? You see, God paid the highest possible price for those of us who know him as Lord and Savior. Not merely in cows, but in his one and only son. Maybe it's time that we begin to live like it. That there was a high price that was paid for us that there's a price that's out there and there's a whole new reality. There's new realities out there awaiting us because of this new relationship that we have in Christ. Y'all, that's what Paul is attempting to tell us this morning. This morning, he's gonna say, okay, you know those spiritual realities we talked about over here in these other verses? Well, here's one thing. I hope you understand that. I hope you get it. It should be something that reflects how you live your life now. So look on your outline. Living in the reality of Paul's prayer. As I've said in verses three through 14, Paul has clearly outlined the spiritual blessings we receive from Christ. When we come to know him and the new reality, we can live in Christ. Then in the verses we're gonna be looking at this morning, Paul is basically praying. He's saying, I pray that you get this, that you understand this, that this not just be realities that have been offered to you, but that they would be realities that you embrace, that you understand, that you are valuable to God, and he's provided some new realities on your behalf. So first of all, look on your outline. He talks, we see Paul's thanks. In Ephesians chapter one, I want you to look at verse 15. It says, therefore, I also, now skip down to verse 16, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. You see, what you read here is the fact that Paul was thankful for them. He cared for them. But most importantly, he prayed for them. Keep in mind that he is praying, as I said before, that they understand what he's already shared, that they get it, that they walk in the new reality provided for them and not the old reality in which they left behind. Now think about that old reality compared to the new reality. 
I've shared this verse with you last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and we talked about what that meant several weeks ago, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old things, it could be our actions, our reactions. It could be how we deal with life and all the different things that come with it. But that old life, really, when you look at it, it's really more of a matter of direction and perspective. It's where the life is going. It's how you see that life. He's saying right now, there's a whole new way. You're a new creation. It literally means something that's never existed before. And there's going to be new realities associated with that. And that's what Paul, again, is telling us. You know, it's interesting how he just prayed so much that they just would get it. Y'all, that's our prayer this morning for you, for us, that we would get it, that we would understand it, that we would no longer walk in uh, the the thing that I mentioned several weeks ago, this shame-based identity or this performance-based identity, but we would find ourselves resting in the fact that we're in Christ. We have a Christ-based identity, and there's a whole new reality for us. Next, Paul addresses their testimony. He's talking about his prayers for him. Look at verse 15. Therefore, also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. There's two things he commends him for. First of all, their faith in the Lord Jesus. Here is a reference to a saving faith that recognizes Jesus as Lord. And really, y'all, that is the mark of authentic salvation. That there is a saving faith and it's directed, directed to the Lord. Second of all, he says your love for all the saints. Now think of this, authentic salvation produces a love for all, especially the saints. Why is that true? Here's the reason why. Did you know that those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the Bible says that they're saints? Do you know that it goes on further to say that, that, that those who are in Christ, that they're literally his masterpieces? Do you realize that? If you know him this morning, you're his masterpiece? And the fact that we would, we would come together and we would say, I don't like the person or I don't like anything about that or whatever is contrary to what we should be when it comes to our relationship with one another. Because it's more than just liking a person. It's the fact that you're liking a masterpiece of God because that's who we are. That's how the Bible identifies us. It is interesting that what Paul is commending them for will be the area Jesus himself will condemn them for years later. Do you remember Revelation chapter two? That's written years later. And he tells them that they've left their first love. Here in this letter, which we believe was 10 years or 30 years earlier that it was written, he's, he's commending them for their love. Revelation chapter two, which we believe was written around 90 AD, what's Christ doing? He's condemning the fact that they left their first love. Something got out of it. Something changed. I believe some were there, and, and what happened over those years is the fact that they forgot who they were in Christ. They lost that whole idea, that perspective of their Christ-based identity and the fact that they were in Christ. Next, living in the reality of Paul's prayer, you see Paul's target, his target. When I say his target, I mean his goal for them, that they grow in knowledge. Now, have you ever compared your prayer life to those in Scripture? We've been trying to do a verse-by-verse study through the Gospels on Wednesday nights. And we try to, try to look at the Gospels in chronological order. And so we're trying to catch all the stories, all the prayers, all the prophecies, all the parables. We're trying to catch all those things in, in the context in which they were written. 
And what's interesting about that is we've, we, I think many of us on Wednesday nights have discovered that we have possibly been looking at our lives from, from the wrong context. It's amazing how we look at our lives through our own lens, how we see things, how we perceive things, how we want things. When, when, when it, that that's not the, should not be the case for the Christian. Our lives should be in the context of the fact that we're in Christ. And there's some interesting things that we've discovered. Uh, have you noticed, have you ever done a comparison of your prayer life compared to those in Scripture? Think about those in Scripture. They didn't pray for bigger houses, better job situations. They don't even necessarily even pray for family crisis. You know what you find in Scripture from the prayers of the saints? Here's what you'll find, that people would get right with God, that people would come to Christ, that the knowledge of God would grow in the reality of a person's life. That was the kind of prayers that you find in Scripture. It's amazing how our prayers differ from that. Now, and that was what Paul was praying here, that they would grow in their knowledge and understanding of who God is and, and, and understand it in the context of their new reality. To truly know God is more than just knowing about him. Listen, it is about experiencing him. There's a lot of people out there who know who Jesus is. They know the story of what he's done, his death, burial, and resurrection. They know that he's the son of God. They, they acknowledge all those things. But there's a lot of those same people who had that confession who are not experiencing what all that means because they don't really know him. They just know facts about him. Truly knowing God would solve most of the problems that cause a person to seek counseling. Did you know that? That if we would really try to understand our life in the context of who God is, and more so in the whole context of the spiritual realities in which he's provided for us, there wouldn't be a whole lot of need for, for someone coming alongside and saying, hey, let me help you, even though that, there is a necessity for that in, in some cases. But a lot of it could be wiped out if we would just understand who we are in the context of who God is. We totally miss that so many times. So Paul was praying that they would get it that they would understand who they are, the new reality that's been provided for them. Now look on your outline. The requirements for this kind of knowledge must, and the first thing there is you must have the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of wisdom. Look at verse 17. It says, it, he goes on, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom. Now, what this is referring to is basically this, a spirit that reaches out and seeks wisdom, a spirit that hungers and thirsts for wisdom. You see, the, the problem with, the, with most of us today, we may know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but we don't seek wisdom. We don't seek the very thing that's necessary to live in the reality of who he is. And we don't seek those things many times. But listen to this, wisdom is knowing who God is knowing how to relate to him and knowing his truth and how to use it in the context of our lives. Knowledge is just grasping facts, whereas wisdom is knowing what to do with the facts, knowing how to deal with the facts. A lack of knowledge and how that knowledge can be used can be very costly. It really can when you think about it. There's a lot of people out there that don't have the right knowledge and even sometimes when they have the right knowledge, they don't know how to use it. They don't, they don't have wisdom about it. There's an interesting story. A freshman at Eagle Rock Junior High 
won first prize at the Greater Idaho Falls Science Fair. In his project, he urged people to sign a petition demanding strict controls or the total elimination of the chemical dihydrogen monoxide. And for plenty good reason. Here's what he cited. It can cause excessive sweating and vomiting. It is a major component in acid rain. It can cause severe burns in its gaseous state. It contributes to erosion. It decreases effectiveness of automobile brakes. It has been found in tumors of terminally ill cancer patients. The freshman asked 50 people if they supported this type of band. 43 said yes. Six were undecided. And only one only one knew that the chemical dihydrogen monoxide was actually water, H2O. Totally missed it. But you know what? There were 43 people willing to sign up to get rid of this thing. Totally missed it. Didn't have knowledge. Didn't even know how to use the knowledge. It didn't even know. It made, how many of you think that sometimes that's what you're looking at when you turn on the TV and you see politicians and you see all the debates that are going on. I mean, it's just amazing how we can be so far off with the knowledge or how we try to use knowledge or more like rhetoric to, to convince people in other ways. And, and, and so many times we're missing it. Sometimes I just want to scream out, does anyone have wisdom in this day and age? When we do find it, how many of you found it to be real, real refreshing? When you hear someone speaking and they're not just saying rhetoric or a bunch of facts, they're speaking from the context of wisdom. Listen, that's not just reserved for what we'd like to see in politicians. That's what needs to be reserved for who we are, who we are in Christ. Listen, to have the proper perspective of who God is in the context of our lives. So, so look on your outline. The, the requirements of this kind of knowledge, all, second of all, must have the spirit of revelation. Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, this is where knowledge is revealed. There are two places we receive rev revelation. First of all, from the word of God. And by the way, we, we have that. Now, think about this, y'all. In the context of living your life, you're, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to live my life with a Christ-based identity. I'm going to live my life in Christ, okay? Where, where do I find out what that looks like? Well, it comes by way of revelation. This is the revelation. Here's what you know. This is the revelation of God right here. He's given us this. This is how we learn about those realities. This is how we learn about how to be in Christ. This is where knowledge comes from. This is where wisdom comes from. It comes from this. But it only comes by way of revelation, God revealing that to us. And he did that through his word. There's a second source in which we have revelation, the Holy Spirit, which indwells us. He can bring revelation. How many of you have ever been reading God's word? which is a direct revelation or revelation we find in his word. And all of a sudden you're reading something and all of a sudden you're dealing with something in your life and, and, and all of a sudden it just makes sense because of something you just read. It's like, it's like comes off the pages of God's word. Y'all, that, that's revelation. That's the Holy Spirit using God's word to bring revelation to your life. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul also wrote this. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Y'all, that's not only a reference for those things that are which are to come. It's also the context and the reality in which you live today. That there's so much more that God has for you. But God has revealed them to us how? Through his spirit. Through his spirit. A Christian growing in his or her knowledge of God through wisdom and revelation sees the meaning behind the circumstances of their life. They also understand who and what is behind the events of history and behind the events or, or, or behind the human experience itself. They see all that. There's, there's, just, there's an awakening to see these things. How many of you, there are times in which you see a situation, and I'm not talking about from the spirit of arrogance, but you see a situation, and all of a sudden you're wondering, why can't other people see this? Why does this not make sense to most people? Listen, if they don't know Christ, if, there's a whole component of who they are in their existence that they're not even aware of. There's a, there's a whole thing there that they're, that they're not even capable of grasping. That's the reason these things, there's requirements when it comes to this kind of knowledge. Thirdly, the requirements of this kind of knowledge must have the eyes of the heart enlightened. There's another process to this. Verse 18 says this, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So, so it goes past really understanding to the fact that, that, that you see it. You see it for what it is. The Holy Spirit, listen, opens the eyes of the heart so that the truth of God can be revealed, understood, and even applied or put into action. That's what enlightenment is. How many of you have heard the little praise song? I won't sing it for you, but I'll just say the words. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing what? Holy, holy, holy. You know, here's what's interesting about our lives. We will never fully see our lives as they truly are until we see our lives in the context of who God is. That's what Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah chapter 6. He didn't understand what was going on in the nation at that time. He didn't understand all the things that were going on around him. But let me tell you something. Everything became more clear when what happened? when he saw God sitting on the throne, when he started seeing things the way God is, how God is truly projected, who God truly is, when he started seeing that, then things began to make sense to him. Then there was a spirit of wisdom. There was a spirit of revelation. There was an enlightenment that took place in his life. And as a result, it radically changed everything about him. That's what God is after. That's part of these new realities. That's what Paul was saying. Listen, those new realities mentioned back over here in, in, in uh, verses 3 through 14. Listen, I'm praying that you'll get it, but you'll not only get it, that there'll be wisdom applied to it, that there'll be uh, this whole idea of revelation, and you'll be enlightened to understand what those realities are in the context of your life now. That's what he's after. That's what he's hoping he'd see. Next, the results of this kind of knowledge, the present fulfillment of, this, of the new spiritual realities. Look at verse 18 again. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. 
Very interesting phrase there. But listen to this. We can live right now, even in this fallen world, in the reality of what God has provided for us. We can live in victory instead of being victimized by our, our old reality in this fallen world. That's what he's talking about here. I believe when he says that you may know what is the hope of his calling. His calling is a reference of what God's standard is. His calling is the context in which he desires for your life. For you to see certain things from his perspective, from his, where he's coming from. And the fact is, most of us don't see that. And you know why? Because we're very me-focused. That's the reason our prayer lives don't look like the prayer lives of what we read in Scripture, what prayers are in Scripture. That's the reason we're so focused on the, the here and now and all these little things that are around us that keep a, our minds racing and worry and anxiousness and all these different things when everything must come from him. Listen, the new realities that Paul has spelled out for you in the verses earlier does not speak of someone who, who, who is a victim. It speaks of a person who's walking in victory no matter what they're facing. Their whole world may be falling apart, but here's what God's word, here's what it's trying to tell us. They are still capable of living in these realities and these realities are victorious. It's, it's victory living. Next, the eternal fulfillment of the new spiritual realities. Look at verse 18 again. Not only that you may know what is the hope of his calling, but what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So, so there's not only a present fulfillment of these new realities, there's also a future that's coming. There is coming a day, you're gonna like this, when what God has provided will be fully realized. Right now, there's a shadow of what he's provided. You gotta look hard to see it. They're, 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 I mean, it is, it's tough sometimes seeing these realities in this world. How many of you agree with that? It's tough. When you see suffering and you see the enemy looks like he's winning and you see all the different things going on and, and it's heartbreaking to see sometimes. But there's a present reality of these things, but there's a future reality. And let me tell you what that's gonna look like. It's gonna be without the restraint of sin, without the restraint of, the flesh, of our flesh, without the restraint of the world, without the restraint of the enemy. All these things will be removed and our future fulfillment of these new realities will be fully realized at that moment and at that time. But y'all, it's not like we gotta sit here and can't wait till we die to get there. It can be realized even in this fallen world if we take on the perspective that he's provided for us. But in the meantime, here's what we need to remember. You are of God and have overcome these because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, now think about that. What's the whole context of what we're talking about in Ephesians chapter one? The whole context of Ephesians chapter one is the fact we're in Christ and he is in us. And, and, and he, basically what he's saying is, I realize as you look around, it looks like the enemy's winning and your circumstances are about to snow you under and I understand all that, but here's what you need to do. Get back to the realities. Get back to the, what Christ has provided for you. And y'all, that's tough, but it is definitely out there awaiting you. Next, living in the reality of God's power. 
And really, when you think about it, you're talking about living in a reality of, of, of what, what Paul's praying and all these things. He's praying that knowledge and wisdom would be there and enlightenment would be there. But you know what really fuels that and makes it capable is the power of God. So, so let's look at this. Look at verse 19. He says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? When it says towards us, it's that whole idea available to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Skip over to chapter three. Look at verse 20. Here's some more talk of power. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, what he's saying there is, Every need that we have and any perspective that we have, he, he's beyond that according to the power that works in us. What you'll notice in verse 19 of chapter 1 and, and chapter 3, verse 20, is there's two words that are used in both of those, those, those verses. And the words are power and work. And, and they're there for, for it's intentional for the reason they're there. Let me tell you why. Paul wants us to understand the power available to us that enables us to live our new spiritual realities. The word power in the Greek, in this context, is where we get the English word dynamite. Now, how many of you have seen the effects of dynamite? Pretty powerful, would you say? Oh, yeah. Then there's the whole idea of work. Work in the Greek is where the English word, where we get the English word energy. You put the two thoughts together and you have a very interesting word. It's where we get the word empowerment. Empowerment given to believers by God through the Holy Spirit to enable us to live the life God has provided for us in Christ. So it's empowerment. So when you see God's power on display, when you see that it's there, that it's available, and there's a working thing going on, it speaks of empowerment, and it's been given to us. Matter of fact, the last words Jesus said when he took off here from earth, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as he's ascending into heaven, he said this, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That is empowerment. And that wasn't just for first century saints. That's for 21st century saints. There's an empowerment that is there in us. Now, so let's look at what this empowerment can do. We go to other places in scripture and we see God's power on display, but how, how does that practically play out in our own lives? Here, here's several things. Number one, a power available to overcome temptation. Now, let me just tell you this. When someone tells you that the temptation was so strong that I just couldn't overcome it. That is a lie. Because the Bible says, says basically there's an empowerment to help us to overcome the worst of temptations. Let me, let me show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation has overcome you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able that means there's a power there. There's empowerment to help you overcome that. You, you can't just chalk it up to it was just too great. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it, hold up under it, that you'll be there, that you could, there's an empowerment available. Second of all, there's a power to overcome trials. Some of you are sitting here today and it's not the temptations that are, that are coming at you as, as much that's bringing uh, a defeat to your life. It's the trials you're dealing with. 
Well, there's a word for that too. James chapter 1, my brethren, count it all joy when you're following the various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The whole idea of purpose, there's a purpose. There's a, there is a working purpose going on in your life when trials come into your lives. And guess what? The implication we see here in scripture is another whole implication of empowerment that is there. And the empowerment there is to help you to see there's something else going on other than the trial in your life. Number three, a power to overcome the enemy's lies. How many of you have lived the Christian life long enough to recognize the lies that the enemy feeds you? Have you started to pick up on them? You realize he's not very creative. You do know that. The same way he pitched Adam and Eve, or Eve and Adam, however you want to go, same pitch we have today. He, he comes at us the same way. He, he, he does that, but, but here's what we're told. In John chapter eight, Jesus said, speaking of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. He's not established in truth, but there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. That means from his own purposes, his own desires, for he is a liar and the father of it. Did you know we have empowerment to withstand the lies of the enemy to come into our lives? Number four, or another we have here, a power available to overcome strongholds. There's some of you sitting here this morning and there's a stronghold possibly in your life. Strongholds can be many things. It can be forms of addiction. It can be bitterness that we hold in our hearts towards someone. I mean, there, strongholds can come in, in, in various ways uh, to, into our lives. But, but look at what we're told here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, now here's what you need to understand. He, he's into this whole idea of empowerment. He, he's like, okay, if there's something that comes up in your flesh, you don't fight the flesh to overcome what your flesh has produced in your life. It's, it's a losing battle. What's it going to take? The spirit to work there. The spirit must be working there. The spirit must be empowering the change. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're not fleshly. You can't come at it from that perspective. But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing. Now, when he says casting down arguments and every high thing, here's what we need to understand about strongholds. Strongholds, the reason they're called strongholds is because many times uh, they're, they're barricaded in our minds and in our hearts. And what comes with it are arguments. We, you know what he means by this, casting down arguments? When we try to defend the stronghold in our life. That, that's part of the arguments. When, 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 when bitterness is, is the stronghold in our lives and we say, but you don't understand what she did to me. But, but God, you don't understand what he, surely you, you know what I'm talking about? You, you've, have you been there? And, and so he, he's saying there's this whole idea of these arguments. Every high thing are those things that, that are, are tempting to supersede the truth of God. And that's what happens many times, casting down these arguments and learning that there's no meaning to them. They're not biblical. That's not the way we call it to live our lives. It's not living in the reality in which he provided. But then there's a whole secondary point there, those high things, the things that we hold up, and this is where we gotta be careful. We hold those things above God's truth. And y'all, that a high thing, do you know what that is? That's an idol. 
And here's the question. How can I go from being over here where someone's wronged me in such a way that hurt me so badly, and I'm angry, and I'm bitter. How in the world am I the bad guy? How in the world am I the one over here who is now, you're saying, uh, brainwashed. There's a form of it there. How is it that I'm here and you're calling me the idol worshiper? Here's the reason why. Because you've taken that lie, you've taken that, and you've made that the idol in your life. And it's only going to bring destruction to you. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's all it's going to do. We got to get back to the wisdom. We got to get back to the revelation. We got to get back to the enlightenment of God's word. We got to get back to the fact that we don't have to live there as a victim. We don't have to live there as someone who, who, who is in, living in the bondage of strongholds. We are someone who, are, who is more than a conqueror. We're someone in which greater is he that's in me than anything this world can throw at me. We got to get back to those thoughts. Get back to that reality. He goes on. Every high thing that exalts itself, there it is, against the knowledge of God, the truth of God, bringing every thought into captivity. That means capturing it. That means literally bringing it in, looking at it in a point of view from God's point of view. And then here's what we're going to do with it. We're going to take it into captivity and then we're going to bring it under the obedience of Christ. We're going to take it from a position of idol that we hold high in our lives we're going to take it captive. We're going to look at it for what it is. We're going to look at it through the lens of truth. And then what we're going to do, we're going to submit it under what? The truth of God, the obedience of Christ. Because that's what's expected. That's the reality we've been called to live in. Next, a power to overcome discouragement. Let me ask you something. Has, have any of you been discouraged in the last 30 days? Raise your hand. Let's just get honest in here. Aren't you glad I didn't say that you yielded to temptation? Or No, I'm just kidding. You know what I saw? I saw almost all the hands go up. Isn't it amazing how discouragement plays in our lives? You know what discouragement is? It's literally the enemy with his attempts to drain us from courage. Y'all, it takes courage to live the life God's called us to live. It takes courage to, to, to understand the power that's available to us and use it accordingly. It takes courage to look at what the enemy throws at our lives, what our flesh wants, what the world provides. It takes courage to say no to these things and yes to the things of God, the new realities in which he's called us. But you know how enemy plays on us? He says, well, how do we get rid of the courage? Let's bring discouragement let me just tell you what happens to me personally. I don't know about you. When I'm discouraged, temptation is intensified in my life. When I'm discouraged, fear seems to take center stage in my life. Discouragement is, is a tool of the enemy. To, to remove us from living in the realities of what God's called us to. And, and so Paul has something to say about that. He says, first of all, be anxious for nothing. Can I tell you what that includes? The very thing that you're sitting here dealing with today, the worst thing that you're dealing with right now, I want you to think about it, and I want you to, to think about what God's word just said. Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't, don't fear it. Yeah, right. 
It goes on. But in everything, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to remove it from the position of idol. We're going to submit it under the truth of God's word, under his authority. Uh, we're, we're going to do what he says. He says, I, I can't do that. I can't put it there. I got I to put it where it needs to be. How am I going to get it there? And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And only then will the peace of God come into your lives. As long as you're holding the idol up, the, 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 the hurts, the pains, the victimization, all those things in which you've exalted above the knowledge of what God has said is really your reality, as long as you hold those things up, you, you will always have anxiousness in your life. You will always have discouragement in your life. You, you will always, or you will never have peace in your life. It doesn't work that way. Peace doesn't work that way. Peace is the acknowledgement of what needs to be surrendered and submitted in my life. And when that happens, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that means anything that this world can throw at it, anything that my flesh could ever imagine, it surpasses all those things. He says, well, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He, and then there's more. How do I deal with this discouragement? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just or pure or lovely or a good report, if there's any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. But what do we do? We allow these other things to come in there, take the place of these things. And again, let me remind you, at that moment, we're not living in the reality of what's been provided for us. Next, the power available to overcome death. How many of you like that one? That's pretty cool in there, isn't it? The last enemy, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? You know what? Here's what is so cool about this. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? Do you know that's junk talk? You got nothing on me. It's out there. Yeah, I'm not too thrilled about it. But death has nothing on me. That's part of the new realities, y'all. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who now gives us the victory how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is, a power authenticated. Okay, we, we realize all these power, this power, this empowerment's out there. It's available to us. It's a part of the new reality. It, it enables us to live in this new reality. How, how's it authenticated? So what? You say it's there. Where's it derived from? It comes from a pretty cool place. A power. Verse 20 tells us how the power came about. Look on your outline. First of all, by his resurrection. That's where it first started. Look at verse 20. Which he worked, this power that's available, which he worked in Christ when he raised him where? From the dead. Would you say someone is pretty powerful if they can take the dead and raise it to life? That's pretty powerful. I can't think of any power greater than that in the world. Is the fact that from our reality as human beings, with our limited view of who God is, there's probably nothing greater than that. And so you've got that and the fact that it is. So, so the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is provided for us. It guarantees all that Jesus promised. It empowers us to live as God intended. It secures our future in, in heaven. Second of all, how's this power authenticated? By his ascension. It doesn't end there. 
He says, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. When Jesus left this world, he was then seated in heaven in a position of supreme power and authority. The power and authority that comes from that throne is available, guess who? Guess to who? Us. Wow. Now, how many of you, I mean, think about this. That's our reality. It's the empowerment in which we have. Don't you think it grieves the heart of God when we're over here in our little corner feeling like we've been wrong and, and, and oh, poor me, it's just not working out like I wanted and killing me here, God. Think about what's really available. So we see a power authenticated. Next, living in the reality of Jesus' preeminence, I gotta hurry. First of all, he will never be defeated. You know what that means? We can count on it. You know why? Because there's no contenders. No contenders. Look at verse 21. He says, far above all principality, he's seated in this place. Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. Nothing has never been, nothing is today and nothing will ever be in the future will have the power to overcome who he is. And so, with that being said, what he offers is guaranteed. Guaranteed. Next, he will always be directing. And of course, it's the idea of the church. Look at what he says in verse uh, 22. Uh, uh, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. That's connected to, to the fact he, there are no contenders. And then it says, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills it all in all. Now, this is very interesting. These last verses explain the con connection and relationship between the, uh, the, that Jesus has with the church. Now, here's why I believe this is in there. I believe these verses are here to demonstrate that it is not possible to experience the fullness and completeness of the new spiritual realities apart from being connected to the church. You know what that means? The Bible over and over again says that he is the head of what? The church. He's head of the body. He is the head. The church is the body. If I want to enjoy the realities, new realities he's provided for me, it's not only going to come from wisdom and enlightenment and knowledge. It's not only going to come from the fact that we're empowered. There's also going to be another context to this, the fact that he's preeminent. There's no contenders. But not only that, it all happens in the context of the church. We need one another for these realities to be fulfilled in us, for these realities to be completed. So here's the application. Are you pursuing the life God intends for you to have in Christ? Or are you living a life that does not reflect the new spiritual realities that have been provided for you and should define who you are? Now here's, here's, here it is in a nutshell. And I'm gonna close with this, John 10, 10. Here it is in a nutshell. The thief does not come except, you know what that literally means? The enemy's sole purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's not necessarily to, to destroy you. Now, he would love to destroy you. Don't get me wrong. But if he can steal your joy, he can steal 
your perspective of what God has provided for you, if he can remove all that and have you walking around, he'll say, okay, you're a Christian, you're his, you're in Christ. Okay, yeah, you go ahead and do your thing, but, but I'm over here to tell you I'm gonna bring everything I can against you. And I want you to be discouraged and as long as you're playing the role of the victim and you're over here and you're not living out the realities, the enemy will say, I'm perfectly content with you living that way. Matter of fact, I'll help you get to that point. But here's the other side. But Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. The only way that comes about is through living the new spiritual realities that Christ has given you. And one of those realities is this, and I really sense this is where a lot of people are struggling with this right now. You are forgiven. No matter what you've done in your past, if you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're forgiven. New start, new creation. Old things passed away. New creation has just begun. And part of that new creation are these new realities. Empowerment, wisdom, enlightened. None of it can be taken away. You know why? Because the one that gave it to us has no contenders. No one's going to take it from him. Not even capable. And therefore, it's not going to be taken from you. So which, which reality are you living in? The one that the enemy says, I love it. Keep living that way. Or the one in which Christ provided for you. Victory. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for this challenge from your word. And, and Lord, I, I don't know what you've done here today, but Lord, you, you've obviously taken over. And Father, I just thank you for just allowing me to share your word this morning. I just sense so desperately that there's people in this room who are not living in these realities. And, and Paul's prayer is my prayer this morning. I pray that they get it, that they get it, Father, that they understand it, that they don't have to live where they're living. If they know you as their Lord and Savior, the Bible says that they're, that they're in you. And that means everything that you've provided is available to them. Help us to walk out from under our defeat, our discouragement, and our bondage into the new realities that's been provided by you. Father, help us to move in that direction. Father, if there's one here today that says, I, I just can't see it. I can't imagine my life with not holding bitterness towards someone. I can't imagine my life uh, just thinking that I don't have to worry about things. I, I can't imagine that, so it must not be for me. Lord, help them realize it is for them. They've just got to take those things which they've made as idols and submit them thing, those things to the obedience of Christ, to the obedience of his truth. Give them victory here today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're getting ready to have a hymn of invitation.